Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and I want to thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, I just spent uh, three days, uh, I had a booth at the TACA conference in Southern California, and I want to thank everybody who came by the booth and said hi, and all the great parents out there who are who are looking for the resources to help their kids get better, and uh, hopefully I can help to be one of those valuable resources for you, because uh, that's what this is all about. The radio show, my blog, my website my mentoring program, everything is there to help assist you in whatever ways that you need to get your child better because children can recover from autism. And the definition of recovery is to regain health. Now, I know everybody's level of recovery is different, but if you take a child who can't sleep and then now they can sleep or they have no speech and now they're verbal or they can't focus and function in a classroom and now they're they're getting good grades and they, they are, are able to sit in a classroom comfortably. My own son was diagnosed with autism and I was told to drug him and try behavioral therapies and that he could not get better. And fortunately, like you, I began researching and didn't stop until I found the answers to what the causes were, not just masking symptoms. And autism is very much a biological issue. It is not a mental illness. And if you can heal up the biology with healing the gut and getting the toxins out and clearing the co-infections like mold, Lyme, and strep, and then supporting the brain, then then you, you will see results. You will see changes in your child. You just have to know what to do and how to do it. So I've created a free workshop for you and you can get all of the, these things that I just mentioned uh, around those four stages at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. No spaces, just free workshop. And uh, and that can give you a lot of really great information that you need and, uh, and other ways that I can help you because I really want to see you get your child better and you need the support. I know how challenging it is as a parent of a child with autism and the, the 24-7 job and, and um, you know, not a lot of relief there and, and you deserve to, to have your road be a lot, made a lot easier and a lot simpler. And today we're going to cover another aspect of these the health and biological issues and that is the role of iron, zinc, and copper in autism. And these, these are very, very important uh, it, to balance out and we're going to go through why and why you don't want to just necessarily, if you find your child's deficient in something like iron, why you don't really want to just start loading up iron supplements. Um, one of those reasons is they can, it can feed the pathogenic or bad bacteria in their gut. But we will discuss this in today's episode. And today also we have Dr. Beth O'Hara here with us, uh, who is an expert in this. And I'm going to give you a little bit of her background as a functional naturopath, but I'd also like to share with you, and, and, and Dr. O'Hara would like to share this today, that she herself was... Um, a child with uh, a, a, and a female, it, it wasn't as commonly known, but is a child with a child who had autism and Asperger's herself. And so she's going to share some of this with you to help, again, give you hope and understanding about things to look for in your child and what it's like on that journey for a person who actually has autism. And Dr. O'Hara, uh, she is a functional naturopath. She specializes in complex chronic health conditions related to mast cell activation syndrome and histamine intolerance. And I will link in the show notes today. I just reminded myself that um, that 
Dr. O'Hara and I did a show on mast cell activation in the past, and it's a very, very important subject. So I will link in today's show notes to that, uh, that episode so you can go back. Uh, she also uh, specializes in autism spectrum disorders, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, mold toxicity, and chemo- chemical sensitivities. She's the founder and over- owner of Mass Cell 360, a functional naturopathy practice designed to look at all factors surrounding health conditions, genetic, bio- biochemical, emotional, and environmental. She designed Mass Cell 360 to be the kind of practice that she wished she had existed when she was severely ill with mast cell activation syndrome herself. So through these root causes, her clients gain health and their lives back. She holds a doctor in functional naturopathy, a master's degree in marriage and family therapy, and a bachelor's degree in physiological psychology. She is certified in functional genomic analysis and is a research advisor for the Nutrigenetic Research Institute and presents a functional medicine conference on mast cell activation syndrome and histamine intolerance. So welcome, Dr. O'Hara, and thank you so much for being here with us today. I greatly appreciate your time and your expertise. Thank you so much, Karen. I'm really excited about our show today because I want to share some things I've never shared before and also get into some of these aspects of iron, copper, and zinc that are going to turn some of the common thinking around iron, copper, and zinc, I think we're going to turn that on its head today, and I think what we're going to talk about can really change the course of recovery for a lot of kids on the spectrum. It's really important. It comes up a lot. It's one of the, one of the especially, um, well, especially zinc can dis- displace copper. Copper can displace zinc, so the two have to be in balance, and zinc is often uh, very deficient. The immune system relies so many on it so much. And uh, and then the same thing with you know you find your child's anemic, which is very common. I mean, they're with especially with children with autism, they have leaky gut. They're not absorbing the nutrition properly, so we really want to work to heal their gut. But what I hear from most people is that, especially whoever, depending on who they're seeing, they might have a practitioner who said, oh, they need to really start heavily loading up dosages of, of you know, iron supplementation, and that can actually not be a good thing. So we'll discuss that today, but why don't we kind of just start at square one here? You had mentioned that you had high-functioning high autism or Asperger's yourself as a child, and um, and I know that you're uh, you're actually eager to share this with our listeners because they are a parent of somebody who is who is you know who is dealing with this, and and it's good to have an insider's view and understand what it was like for you as a child and growing up and and how you discovered this. So maybe just give us a little bit of background on that and then we'll we'll move into the the rest of the pieces on the the zinc, iron and copper. Sure. So I wanted to start sharing this because we often think of children with autism as maybe not getting to live full lives or normal lives. And I didn't set your stereotypical profile of early autism. And I think that's what is happening with a lot of girls on the spectrum because the diagnostic criteria is based on the male presentation. So I wasn't disruptive. I was good at school. I could communicate. But where if we had known about what we know now about autism, if we'd known that 30 years ago, 
I had a lot of social problems. I couldn't understand social cues or jokes or how to joke back with kids or how to dress to fit in with my peers. I didn't know how to make friends or make small talk. And I was much more interested in the textbooks and learning how to do DOS programming, that's how long ago it was, <laughs> than I was figuring out how to play the games other kids were playing. But it also meant that I felt really isolated and I was bullied quite a bit and I was really emotionally sensitive. So I had a lot of meltdowns. And then as my health got worse, it felt like my brain was just on fire all the time and I couldn't think clearly like I needed to. Okay. You know, this is a really, really important subject and a lot of things there that um, I'm sure you've triggered for parents and their curiosity. So we're going to take our short break now. And when we come back, you can go ahead and, and really elaborate a little bit more on that. And um, maybe also things that you found were helpful in coping with those as well. So we're going to take a short break right here. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better? After 13 years of research, Karen Thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally. She now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child. The definition of recovery is to regain health. Karen offers this to you in four stages. Healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, balancing the co-infections of autism, brain support, and repair. Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. Empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a... Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and today we are talking about the roles of iron, zinc, and copper in autism, but we also have Dr. Beth O'Hara here with us, and Dr. O'Hara had autism and Asperger's as a child, and and before the break, Dr. O'Hara, you were tra- starting to talk about you know how it was for you as a child as well, being bullied, which is you know this horrible thing that we have to see children who are great children and sensitive, but maybe a little different than others in the classroom. And so the the bullies or the other insecures tend to pick on uh, those kids. And so, you know, what that was like, but I'm curious what the earlier, earlier cues were for you that, you know, health symptoms or other things that might've been underlying that, um, that helped you to lead into understanding that there was more going on. So can you share some of that with us? Sure. You know, when I look back, Things really make sense. They just never made sense at the time. So I had a lot of gut issues as a kid, um, pretty significant. I had pretty major allergy symptoms, lots of itchy eyes, sneezing, asthma. Uh, I had severe anxiety. And it wasn't, I mean, I had social anxiety, which makes sense. But I had biochemical anxiety also. So even if I wasn't around anyone, there was this constant anxiety and sometimes panic attacks, and they weren't just psychological. Um, And when I look back too, I mean, we moved into an old farmhouse when I was younger. We didn't know, but it was full of black mold. I Mm. grew up in the country. We were out playing outside. I was bit by ticks all the time. I had Lyme. 
Uh, and then, you know, these other things built from there. I learned as an adult that I had mercury and lead at high levels. So, so many of the common root causes. But again, it just took so long to identify. And that's what I'm hoping we can do. And that's something I'm really passionate about is helping kids on the spectrum get their lives back so much faster than it took me because it took me a good 30 years. Um, I'm in my 40s now. And I took a comprehensive approach addressing these underlying root issues, addressing and learning emotional, social intelligence, which I think there's a conception too that a misconception that people on the spectrum don't have empathy, which isn't true. It's just anybody can have little empathy or a lot of empathy. And I see in my practice people on the spectrum on both ends, people who may not have much empathy or it's really hard for them to relate to others. And then also children, especially in girls, uh, intense empathy. So they feel everything and it's overwhelming. And that's where I was. So I didn't know how to filter out everything that I was feeling. And that's one of the things that I was able to learn that's really helped me here in my practice. Well, and with that empathy too, uh, it it's having the having the empathy, but not always showing it. So people think that that children with autism often, or even adults with autism, they think maybe they're not really caring, or they're cold, or they're not feeling, and that's not at all the truth. They're they're very very sensitive. It's just that they really find uh, aren't showing it externally. They just you know they don't. Like, like, you know, a neurotypical child might really show it like, oh, and they you know hug you or they just don't don't show it. But it's not that they're cold or non feeling. In fact, it's often the opposite. They're they're super sensitive uh, to everything in their surroundings. And uh, and I think that, that that's important to bring that knowledge up to. Even parents, they might not really realize how how ultra sensitive their child is in the sense that they're they're feeling others' emotions and taking that on because that, uh, but they, but they might not realize that they are. So, um, what did you end up doing for yourself? And, um, you know, some of these things that you were, were able to, to decipher for your own health. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting. We were talking about not being able to show it. It felt like the, the road or the highway from my feelings to the communication wasn't fully built. It was like it wasn't constructed. And so in addition to addressing the health issues, I did a lot of things to work on that. So my voice was monotone. And people would think that I was cold because I didn't have expression in my voice. And it wasn't that it was cold. I just didn't know how to do it. So I took voice lessons for several years and learned how to modulate my voice and my um, expression and use my body in speaking and use facial expressions. And then I, um, I worked a lot in, with body awareness through yoga. So I got really, really lucky in college. I took um, yoga as my PE credits because I wasn't healthy enough to do anything else. And that was the hardest thing I had ever done. Calculus came easy to me, but yoga was so challenging because I had to connect my mind with my body and my feelings. But I knew that that was a way to recover as well. And so that's why I'm so passionate about this comprehensive approach on the physical, emotional, social, mental, 
aspects, it changed my life just taking yoga and developing that self-awareness, that present moment awareness. And those are the things that started to build the bridge. And then I studied a system called the Enneagram personality system and studied a lot of psychology and social psychology. And I led, I, so I co-led groups in Enneagram and learned how to read people and validate what I was reading and then how to respond. And initially I was terrible and my feedback was that I was terrible, um, but I worked really hard. And at the end of that 10 year period, the feedback was that I was really excellent. People experienced me as warm and connected and that's who I was on the inside. I just didn't know how to bridge it. So I learned how to build those bridges out to other people. And it was, you know, like I said, a lot of work, but it paid off. And when you say Enneagram, can you talk about that a little bit more so that, that uh, our, we're understanding what, what it was that you did or that where, where parents sure. might be able to get that resource as well? Yeah, this would be a great tool for um, older children. Uh, and teenagers really like this system. So it's a personality system of nine different personality types, and it looks at the underlying motivations and why we do what we do. So instead of just understanding behaviors, it helped me understand why people said the things they said, why they had the behaviors, and if I understood the why, I could relate to them. So it was huge in building that, that bridge to be able to connect to others. Okay. And then um, we're going to take a short break right here, but I will link to anything, any resource that you have for us in the show notes as well, because I'm sure there's parents who are very curious and would like to, to know where that, to reach that resource. But we need to take a short break right here. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Stay with us. We Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and uh, today we are talking with Dr. Beth O'Hara about uh, we're going to get into the roles of iron zinc and copper in autism but Dr. O'Hara has been sharing with us uh, her experience as a female child who's grown up with Asperger's and autism and how it wasn't really even discovered till later on and you've heard me mention many times about the co-infections things like mold and Lyme and heavy metal toxicity that really can affect our ability to uh, think clearly to communicate to focus and um, and again in my free workshop please please um, go to it and get those uh, get that information for yourself and your child and again that's at naturally recovering autism dot com forward slash free workshop and today's show notes will be at naturally recovering autism.com forward slash 58 uh, this is show number 58 before the break uh, dr. Harry you were talking about enneagrams and I, I'm gonna I'll link to that on the show notes as you as you mentioned because it can be really helpful to for especially adults uh, but at any age probably but especially adults and I, I have people write in to me about how lonely they are as an adult and how hard it is because they've tried and whether they're in their job or through school or, or any social arena that people don't like them and it's hurtful and, and they're trying to figure out how to connect with people and so um, in in these resources that that I offer them, uh, I think this could be another another great one. This enneagram in a way to help bridge that gap and help them understand. But um, you have another resource of somebody who who specializes in female Aspergers, and and um, if you could just give us a little bit of information on that. 
Yes, I really love Tanya Marshall's work. She specialized in female Asperger's. And I had suspected for a long time that I was probably on the spectrum. But after I did the 10 years of the social and emotional intelligence training, it was mostly unrecognizable on the outside. So I wasn't sure. But it was when I started reading her work and her descriptions of female Asperger's, I just pegged myself all the way down. And that's where everything lined up in terms of my childhood experiences and feeling overwhelmed in large groups and things like that. And I love her approach that being on the spectrum is full of gifts. And so that's how I see it now. So my whole life as a younger person and even a young adult, I thought there was something deeply wrong with me. I knew I was missing something socially. And now realizing that it was Asperger's and having been able to build those bridges out to other people helps me see that there isn't anything wrong with me. It's just, I see the world differently and my brain works differently. And then to take that and apply the gifts of that. And so my brain process is like a computer and I can sift through hundreds to thousands of points of data on a client. I see things from different angles and that makes me really, really good at my job. And I can put myself kinesthetically in someone else's experience and really sense what it's like to be in that person's life and body. And that helps me quite a bit in this line of work and especially with people who are in trouble communicating. And so, Tanya Marshall's work helped me recognize that what we need to do is see who we are, fully appreciate and accept and respect who we are first. So we give that to ourselves first and then build our lives in a way that we create a career and create social experiences that build on those gifts. And then we can have a really full life. So we may not have the exact lives that people have. I don't go to fireworks shows. They're too intense. They're loud. It's painful for me. Um, I don't go to the mall, but I do have close friendships and my life. I've just organized around who I am so that I can fully live and be who I am. And that's the key. I mean, it's okay to be different or, or, or have your sensitivities. And those, as you said, can be great gifts. Uh, it just makes the social piece a little bit more challenging. And, and sometimes kids with Asperger's and autism don't really want to have a strong social life. A small one is plenty. They, they do get lonely and they do need friends. Um, but, you know, it doesn't have to be overwhelming. Uh, and it's finding those people who understand uh, you know, who, who just have an understanding and sort of, I always say, get him like what about like my son, like so people just get him. They understand who he is. They like who he is. Um, you know, th that people are, these kids are so sweet and so sensitive. And, uh, and that, that's what's I, I think just key is that people understand that near, you know, not everybody is so open and, and, uh, understanding of other people and the ways that they are there they'll judge and this is just a, a way to you know find those there are so many great people out there too who who won't judge and you can find good friends and it's just a matter of of uh just you know learning the to to like you said bridge some of these gaps that 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 exist so that they can become who they are be who they are feel comfortable with who they are and and express their gifts because 
most kids with autism are so intelligent and have so much to offer the world. I mean, look at Einstein, you know, I mean, it's just, it's there. It's just a matter of them getting through it. And so I think this is a good place for us to segue into some of the health issues because this is where I always come in with helping people with the biological aspects that get in the way. I mean, if you've got mercury and lead toxicity in your brain and you have Lyme disease and mold affecting the creating inflammation and the mold in your, uh, uh, basically kind of makes it so you can't think clearly, you can't focus and both Lyme and mold will really, really keep the gut ill. And so, um, I've done multiple episodes on this. I work with this in my mentoring program. It's very important to, to clear these and naturally, um, you don't want to just throw in a bunch more antibiotics and things like that that are going to destroy what good bacteria is left. And so uh, there's so many things that we can talk about. But for this show, we, we want to like move into a little bit about iron, copper and zinc because they're there's something that I haven't done a show on alone before, but they're so common that the commonly out of balance in children with autism. And so um, where do you think it would be, you know, best to start with here? Like talk about maybe just to educate our listeners why balancing these minerals are particularly important in autism. Maybe we should start there with this piece. Sure. So, it's important to realize we literally can't survive without these minerals. So we need iron. Uh, iron is a cofactor in creating heme. And this is where the hyper-focus of being on the spectrum has helped me so much because I like to find a rabbit hole and just follow it all the way through. And iron is one of those rabbit holes that you can go down forever. So it's a cofactor for heme, which makes detoxification antioxidant enzymes, oxygen delivery molecules like hemoglobin, um, our CYP450s in phase one detox, and it's needed in ATP production and methylation, and there's even more areas that we'll get into here in just a minute. Okay, we need to take a short break right here. So this is a great little um, little time to to uh, do that. And when we come back, we can go full bore into this and uh, and get into some of these specifics. Uh, you're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host Karen Thomas. Stay with us. Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host Karen Thomas, and today we're talking about. Uh, with Dr. Beth O'Hara, and we're going to be discussing uh, the roles of zinc, iron, and copper in autism. And uh, and so we started right before this uh, this last commercial. We started talking a little bit about how we can't survive without these minerals and how important they are. And in some of the Dr. O'Hara, you were talking starting to talk about some of the um, the processes that these are important in, like phase one detoxification of liver and creating antioxidant enzymes and helping with detoxification, um, ATP, which is the energy for the cells, and and uh, and uh, that means um, if you've com- if you're uh, commonly heard the word mitochondria, the ATP is that energy for the cells, and that's where mitochondrial dysfunction can come in. And I've done a, a, an episode with a mitochondrial episode in uh, expert in the past that you can tune into for more on that specifically because it's a very common. I would say just about everybody with autism has it, and many people without autism has it have it as well. Um, so, Dr. O'Hara, why don't we have you continue to elaborate on what 
um, you know, maybe going through the specifics of maybe one at a time for each of these, the three minerals that we're talking about? Sure. So just to wrap up iron, we also need iron for growth and development, particularly fetal growth and growth through adolescence. And iron is needed to produce the neurotransmitter serotonin, which becomes melatonin, and dopamine. So it's cofactors in those processes. So if we think about all these things people on the spectrum struggle with, all these biological processes, and dig down to the very root pieces, iron is right there in so many of them. And then when we look at zinc, zinc is also involved in methylation. Zinc is um, needed for um, it has to be in good balance with copper, and copper is a cofactor in iron regulation. So these minerals are all closely linked. And then copper is also a cofactor for a number of enzymes, in, especially the diamine oxidase. And we talked about that in one of our shows. And that diamine oxidase, or the DAO enzyme, is a copper-based enzyme for histamine breakdown. And then copper is needed in neurotransmitters also, it's involved in dopamine conversion to the energy form of adrenaline or norepinephrine and epinephrine. And then copper is needed in red blood cells and the immune and nervous system and making collagen. So kids that deal with joint issues, hypermobility issues, copper is one of the things that we need to look at. But here's the catch on these minerals. They have to be available in the right forms at the right time. And there's a difference between different forms of iron and copper and zinc. I really want to um, hone in on iron here because we tend to think about iron just being iron being iron, but it's not. So there's the bioavailable iron our bodies need. And that's the kind of iron that is in red meat, that's in other types of animal protein, and especially in liver, that's our best source of bioavailable iron. But the kind of iron that's in cast iron skillets, the kind of iron that's in iron-fortified foods, like iron-fortified cereals, isn't bioavailable. We can't take it up. We can't use it. So it just floats in the body, and it's inflammatory. And you can actually do a little science experiment where you take a box of iron-fortified cereal, like Cheerios, blend it up in a blender, and then run a strong magnet over the powered cereal, and that magnet will pull the iron shavings out of the cereal. You can look up YouTube videos on how to do this. And then if you take those iron shavings and put them outside and expose them to oxygen and water, it rusts. And that's what happens. It's a similar process in our bodies, but we call it oxidation. So we have to be really, really careful about the forms of iron that we're providing. And with kids on the spectrum, that inflammation from the iron is huge and can cause a lot of neural inflammation. Um, iron toxicity is linked to a number of health issues that we can talk about. So this is critical. And that iron that is in the iron supplementation, for 99% of them is the non-bioavailable iron. So there's a misunderstanding out there that that iron supplementation is going to fix these enzyme issues. It's not the right form. It's like if we know somebody needs water, but we're going to give them Mountain Dew because it has water in it. 
So this makes sense because I know too that um, the iron supplements and when we when we load up, they can feed the pathogenic bacteria in the gut. So it can actually make uh, candida yeast overgrowth, uh, sometimes parasitic issues, can make them worse. Uh, so what ones do you suggest that? Uh, our best, I mean, I know that, you know, leafy green vegetables, as you mentioned, if it's grass-fed, full grass-fed organic uh, meats and animal proteins, things like that, those are your best sources. Even if you can only get a tablespoon of it into your child because they're a picky eater, a little bit can go a long way versus some of the other iron supplementation. So for a parent who hears their child is, is anemic and their doctor says they should, you know, supplement, I'm usually directing them to natural good food sources, but do you have something else that you uh, that you like in supplementation form that you feel is healthy and, and bioavailable? I do. And before, when somebody comes in and tells me the child is anemic, I want to back up and go, well, what does that mean? And so I mm-hmm. want to look at the labs. Most of the time, they're being told the child is anemic just based on a ferritin marker. And the ferritin marker is a marker of iron in the blood. But the problem is only 10% of iron in the whole body gets stored at the blood, in the blood. 90% is stored in the other tissues. So you could still have low iron and have a picture of overall iron toxicity because it's stuck in the other tissues. So there's a number of markers I look at first, a whole panel of about 10 markers to see what's happening with the iron regulation instead of just looking at ferritin because that marker was never meant to be a total iron picture. Right, and if it's if you're taking a blood test, but it's only 10% is in the blood, then it's not going to show up there, and then you could be ending up loading up with a, a supplementation or something more too when you actually have an excess of it in your tissues. You're saying 90% can be stuck in these tissues. You know, we need to take a short break right here, but when we come back, we'll talk more about this. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Stay with us. We hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host Karen Thomas, and today we are talking. About uh, with Dr. Beth O'Hara about the roles of iron, zinc, and copper in autism. And uh, before the break, Dr. O'Hara, you were starting to talk about how only 10% of of the ferritin markers can be in for iron can be in the blood, and 90% can be stuck in the tissue. So, how do we look at what is truly low iron, and then versus how the iron is not getting um, properly distributed? That's a great question. So what is the other iron marker? So there's things like iron, iron saturation, transferrin, and we want to look at the cofactors of iron regulation. So these are things like copper. There's an enzyme called ceruloplasmin. That's the main copper transporter. We've got to check vitamin A and zinc, magnesium, and vitamin D. So there's a whole panel here. But when that ferritin's low, we also want to take a look at the blood cells, check the hemoglobin, check things like the MCV. So these are some different markers you'll get in a standard complete blood cell count. And then um, we have to put the picture together there. So what can happen is if somebody starts taking iron supplementations just based on a low ferritin, without looking at the 10 other markers that are important, This is like if you have a gas tank that's full of holes and you want to go to the grocery store, 
you pour 20 gallons of gas into it to go five miles to the grocery and 20 miles of gas to come five miles home. So gas is like the iron supplementation. But one daily dose of iron supplementation for a child could be a year's worth of iron. And then you're leaking that gasoline everywhere, which is a big fire hazard. And iron, when it's in the wrong form, and there's too much of it, is extremely, extremely inflammatory. And so the real fix is to repair the gas tank. So what I see a lot of times is the ferritin is low, but the other markers are showing us that the tissue looks like it's quite high in the tissues. So we don't want to keep throwing more gasoline into the gas tank. We want to fix the iron transfer problem. And we can do that by addressing the cofactors like zinc, magnesium, vitamin D, and vitamin A as retinol. But if we do have a truly low iron picture, so we look at all that, and it looks like the iron is low, then my go-to is that um, grass-fed, the pasture-raised grass-fed, really clean, really high-quality liver. And a lot of kids aren't going to eat liver, which I'm aware of, um, but you can get it in a powdered form, and you can hide it in things that are savory, so like a stew or a stir fry or something like that that you know the kid likes and it'll just add kind of a depth of a flavor to it you can hide it pretty easily in there but i find that when it's a total low iron picture it's easier to address than this iron transfer issue or iron recycling issue where the iron the tissues is high the ferritin is low and so a lot of times what we have to use there is something called apolactoferrin. Lactoferrin is a protein that helps transport iron. And we can transport, use that to transport the iron from the tissues to the blood. And then some children have really high ferritin. So if they have high ferritin, we have to use things that are iron chelators, like what's called IP6 is a type of supplement. Um, we have to avoid high-dose vitamin C and vitamin C and Bs and eat a lower iron diet. So there's some things like that can really help. But before we even get into supplementing for these kinds of issues, I always do a full root cause analysis and zoom out and see what is happening in this case with this child and why is the iron being dysregulated? Because the body has very, very intelligent coping mechanisms. And so there was a theory, you could call it a theory, but it's um, an understanding of what's happening in the body called cell danger response. This was developed by Robert Navio and Neil Nathan has written really succinctly on this and clearly on this cell danger response. And what this talks about is that when there are underlying toxins and pathogens, the body will prioritize isolating and eliminating toxins and pathogens over anything else, over hormone balance, over um, getting good sleep, and it will, the body will shift into inflammatory processes like mass selectivation syndrome and autoimmunity. So what I love about looking through the lens of cell danger response is that the autism, the mass activation syndrome, the autoimmunity, this is not the problem. 
The problem is what's causing the body to go into these coping mechanisms. And this is exactly what you and I talk about all the time, Karen, about these root causes. And so what we have to remember specifically about iron is when we have a lot of pathogens, if there's lime, there's any kind of fungal species like candida or mold toxicity, if there are viruses like Epstein-Barr, those have to have iron to replicate and to take over in the body. So the body will go into an iron dysregulation picture to sequester the iron away from those pathogens. So you don't have access to it. So if we start fixing iron dysregulation too soon, we could be worsening the underlying pathogen issue. So this is why it's so critical to have somebody like Karen or somebody like like me do a full root cause analysis for your child, find out what all of the underlying pieces are, and then put together a roadmap that addresses what's going on in the right order at the right time for that child. And so addressing iron dysregulation, unless it's a picture of total very, very high iron, I'll address that early on. But if it's low ferritin, we may do just a little bit, but we don't want to do a whole lot because the body has its own wisdom and intelligence. So we want to be working with that wisdom and intelligence, not against it and picking the order and the timing. Yeah, this is really, really important information. So many um, parents that I work with do say, oh, I found out my child was anemic and they told me to, to you know, high dose with these uh, supplements. <laughs> and I'm just out there trying to, to get this exact message across that you have to know these things and you don't want to just load up with, with the iron supplementation and make things worse. Um, and, you know, food can be your best source because that's, your body is going to use that differently than a, a supplementation would, would be uh, utilized in the body. We're going to take a short break right here. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Have you ever wondered why some children recover from their symptoms of autism while others never seem to get any better? After 13 years of research, Karen Thomas has recovered her own son from his symptoms of autism naturally. She now shares how she did it with you in her free webinar so that you can have the right resources and knowledge to help your child. The definition of recovery is to regain health. Karen offers this to you in four stages. Healing the gut, natural heavy metal detoxification, balancing the co-infections of autism, brain support, and repair. Register now for this free webinar to help you know what you can do to help your child to sleep better, be more calm, improve focus, and reach their fullest potential to live a happy, healthy life. Go to naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop empowering parents with the resources to naturally recover autism from a mom who's done it hi and welcome to naturally recovering autism i am your host karen thomas and today we're talking about the roles of iron zinc and copper in autism with dr beth o'hara and before the break we were talking about iron supplementation and how it needs to be regulated how if you are taking supplementations it can really uh 
supplementation for it, it can actually make pathogenic bacteria and fungal and mold and lime and, and various overgrowths like that. The yeast issues can be made much worse. So again, um, please re-listen to that, the, the aspects that we talked about and make sure that, um, that, you know, food is really your best source. We're working with that leaky gut. That is key, uh, making sure that, that uh, we're, we're going for the root causes of the problems. We're not just treating symptoms here. Remember that. And um, we're getting low on time, and uh, this has been such a great episode. There's been so much value. I want to make sure that we touch a little bit uh, maybe more on the, the zinc and iron um, aspects. Zinc especially is super low in our kids, really needed for the immune system, and copper and zinc tend to displace each other, and copper can often be pretty high. So um, in, I know we just have a little bit of time left here, Dr. O'Hara, but can you give some, you know, some valuable tips there um, with the time we do have left? Yeah, so I think you know, if people only take one thing away, it's about we're looking for balance, and we're looking to support the body's processes moving through these underlying toxins and pathogens and do that in a really in organized, systematic way. So looking at copper and zinc, I had a child come in that was on, that copper was out of balance and was put on 100 milligrams of zinc. And this was a child that weighed about 60 pounds. And what happened was because high zinc will lower copper significantly, then the copper was bottomed out. So we had the opposite picture of what we normally saw in the neighborhood. Child was getting more histamine reactions because they couldn't make that histamine degrading enzyme. So we want to always think about balance and be careful about super dosing, especially children. Um, And then that copper zinc balance, we don't want to label copper as the bad guy because that's what happens sometimes too. People come in, they've been told copper is so toxic. Well, bioavailable copper is critical. It's non-bioavailable, just like the iron. It's the non-bioavailable copper that's toxic that we want to want to be paying attention to. And this cell danger response, if it's not on the radar of parents yet, is so critical. And this is the approach that I use in my practice, looking at, again, always the why. Why are copper and zinc out of balance? Why is iron out of balance? What's happening? And is it out of balance for an important reason or is it out of balance because there's um, a major toxicity overload that needs to be addressed now? But I had myself, I had a lot of iron, um, lead, and mercury imbalances, and a well-meaning practitioner 15 years ago tried to have me do chelation. It was disastrous because it was the wrong timing. It was too strong. It made me really sick, and it took me months to recover. So now what I understand from studying all of this and working with it in my practice is that we don't address metals till later on. And so I think this is the approach people you're looking for if you want to get your child back and get their lives back. And I've gotten my life back. I have a busy practice. I have a good social life. I have great friends. I'm married. I have a great marriage. And these are the steps that got me there, and I see a lot of kids that can get there as well, and that's what I love to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they they deserve and can achieve 
um, uh, you know, a healthy and happy life, as you're saying. I mean, you're married, you have lots of friends, you have a successful business and practice, and uh, and that's what our kids can get to. Do you have anything else that you would like to share um, before we wrap up? I just like to share I have a lot of um, resources for parents, and so at wetmassselfisticy.com, there's a blog there. It's written about mast cell activation syndrome, which um, probably 90% of children on the spectrum, if not all children on the spectrum, have mast cell activation syndrome. And it's the same root cause approach and coming from a cell danger perspective. So lots of resources there. I know, Karen, you've got lots of resources. And I'm just so happy we can see lots of help parents get their children um, health back on track and help them have a really full and fulfilling life. Yeah, absolutely. Like like we mentioned, it's it's really a, a biological issue. And if you get, you know, the the lime and the copper and the the yeast and the you know the heavy metals, all this toxins and inflammation imbalance, and reduce them and and really get the health back, then the the brain and the body can function more optimally. And and a lot of the issues of sleep and focus and and irritability and, and aggression can just vanish as they did for my son. So uh, you're listening. Listening to Naturally Recovering Autism. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Dr. O'Hara, for sharing with us today. I will link to the show notes at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash 58 for today's show. Thank you so much again for being here.